You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. All right, how's everybody doing? All right, all right, here's the deal. You got an extra hour of sleep. You're a much younger crowd than before. How you guys doing? Good. Awesome. Man, I'm so excited to open up the Word with you. We're in a series in 1 Thessalonians, so if you have a Bible, grab it. This morning, we are talking about what it looks like to have a contagious faith that leads to an overflowing love. A contagious faith that leads to an overflowing love. I know that even using that word contagious can be a hot topic in our day and age. I think we may have a little bit of a COVID PSD uh, going on. Um, but I know that um, I, for me personally, I hate being sick. Anybody else? Does anybody enjoy being sick? Okay, so like I, I don't like being sick. I don't like what that brings. Um, we have six girls in our house under 12 right now, and they all have some sort of something going on at every given moment. In fact, uh, two of our youngest right now, um, they go to daycare, and uh, I love picking them up because I get to see their beautiful faces, and they're so excited when they come out of the doors. But also at the same time, I don't want to touch them. And so they're like crusty everywhere, and I don't know what it's from, and it is just, I'm like, hey, how are, how are you doing? Um, and so, because what? We don't want to get sick. We don't like it. There's, there's stuff everywhere. We live in a world of sickness. I mean, we do. And it's not only sickness that is contagious, it's also other things too. We've got uh, emotions that can be contagious. You ever realize that if you're angry, how the atmosphere around you and the people around you tend to be irritated as well? Um, if you're frustrated, then everybody around you is frustrated. Spouses, can you attest to this? Right? Parents, kids, like, like when you're frustrated, there's just like this aura of frustration around you. And then there are uh, the moments that we're happy. I mean, happiness can be contagious. Being excited can be contagious. It's very similar. Ever see a toddler fall and their parents are around? Right? It's so contagious that if a toddler falls and like face plants, what's the first thing that they do? They look up at the parents, right? So they're like, and if you're like, oh, my poor baby, and you like pick them up and you're like patting them, they start crying. But if you're like, yay, right? They're just like, oh, okay, I guess I'm okay. And then they keep going on with their life. Why? Because our emotions are contagious. And our faith is contagious as well. Especially in a cynical world where hopelessness and brokenness and pain are very evident and prevalent. But I don't know about you, but if I've ever been around someone that was going through a hard time and they were grounded in the truth of who God is and what he has done for them, I know for certain that that encourages my faith. Like when they're going through a really hard time, but they are just standing firm on who God is and what he has done, that it encourages my soul and it encourages everyone around. Their faith is contagious. And so here's the question this morning. Does your faith overflow out of your life into the world around you? It may sound like a heavy question because for you, it may be a, I don't know. It may be just a solid no. But that's the type of faith that we are invited into by a holy God is to 
experience him in such a way where the faith that we have given to us by the Holy Spirit overflows out of our life to overflow in love to a world around us that is craving hope and craving love and craving belonging. I think often hardship and pain and hurt and brokenness can lead us more into isolation and running from God than actually running to God. And when, when that happens, when we're isolating from people and when we're running from God, it's not glorifying to God. And in fact, it doesn't actually lead us to the place we want to be because it doesn't bring peace. It doesn't bring comfort. It doesn't bring rest. It doesn't bring the things that we really truly desire because God didn't create us to isolate. He didn't create us to run away from him and from the church family that he has placed around us, the body of Christ. You know, when I'm distant from God, this is just my own personal story, when I'm, when I'm lacking in faith, I'm short with my kids. I'm distant from my bride. I'm self-focused and not God-focused. And so we're here in this series called Unshaken, going through the book or the letter that Paul is writing to the Thessalonians. And I want to give us some context so we're all coming on the same page. Because for some of you, this is your first time here. We want to welcome you. But you're kind of diving into the middle of a letter. So this is a letter written by a man named Paul. He was a real man. He's not a character in some kind of made-up story. He's, he's a real person. And Paul was not perfect. I think often when we look at the Bible, we think that the Bible was just written by perfect people, but it's not. It's, it's written by fallen people, people who are failures and have been forgiven by God. But Paul was a real person. He actually at one point um, was going around ravaging the church of Jesus. He was a Pharisee, and everybody was saying that Jesus was the Messiah, and he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So what was he doing? He was going around locking people up for saying Jesus was the Messiah. He was actually there when the first martyr, who was a deacon of the church, Stephen, was stoned, and people laid their coats at his feet. He was approving of these things. He was actually one that was going and, and having people murdered for their faith. So he's, he's not a perfect being. But he has an experience. He has an encounter with the risen Jesus. And that encounter transforms his life. That encounter, not only does it blind him for a season, but it actually transforms him to be someone who is on fire to make the good news of Jesus known everywhere he went. One of the places he went was Thessalonica, the church of the Thessalonians. And so when he went there, he started sharing the gospel and the church began to form. And then he went to another place and started sharing the gospel and the church began to form. And then he sent Timothy, who was uh, a disciple of his, an understudy, who, who went there to get a report on how the Thessalonians were doing. And so they went to, to get this report and Timothy came back to Paul and reported to Paul how they were doing, how they were doing in their faith, how they were doing loving one another, and all these things. And that's where we're jumping into this letter. This is 1 Thessalonians 3, and we're starting in verse 6. And so we're going to jump in where Paul is receiving a report from Timothy. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive in. Father, thank you. Thank you for every person that is sitting in this room God, I pray that our hearts and our minds would be illuminated to your good news. I just want to lift up every church that stands firm on your gospel. 
especially those in our community. God, I think of Dave Acton's church over in Cape Coral. I think of Summit and Crossroads, Riverside. God, I pray that you continue to do a work in these churches so that your, made, your name may be made great. God, I pray that we would now be able to fix and focus our eyes and our hearts on this letter that is written through the inspiration of your Holy Spirit to encourage our hearts and our minds to live out our faith in overflowing love. We lift this all up in your name. Amen. So 1 Thessalonians 3, what are we seeing starting in verse 6? Let me read it for us. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and longing to see us as we long to see you. So here's what we're seeing right here in this verse six, is that a contagious faith that leads to an overflowing love builds the church. It's building the church. They're hearing stories of their faith and it's encouraging the hearts of believers. And by encouraging the hearts of believers, the gospel is going forth. The church is being built. Now, verses one through five that we just went through a few weeks ago, Trent was teaching on it, was talking about the hardships that the Thessalonians were facing. They were dealing with some major hardships and persecution and suffering, and they had kept the faith. Their, their persecution and their hardship didn't cause them to retreat from their faith, but actually caused them to root down deep into their faith that they had in Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. And so, so they are deeply rooted in this, and that report is spreading throughout the community. So we just heard about their hardships, and now one thing that we do know is that hardships affect all of us. In fact, if you're a statistic person, who likes statistics? Raise your hand. Okay, so one out of every one person experiences a hardship. You're not exempt. In fact, I had a pastor that always used to say, either you have just come out of a hardship, you are currently in a hardship, or you're about to head into a hardship. Why? Because that's the fallen world that we live in. We will experience hardship. When hardship hits, we tend often to act like we're the only one that has ever experienced that in the world. I think that that's a tool of the enemy. I think the enemy wants us to believe in those moments when we're experiencing uh, pain or loss or sickness that we're the only one that has ever gone through this. But we're not. There are millions and billions of people around the world that are experiencing hardships very similar to yours. And the gospel is just as much true for you as it is for them. Just think about some case studies that we have here in scripture. So John, John is the beloved disciple. John got to hang out with Jesus. Anybody want to do that? Yes. Like, like John got to like see him in the flesh. He was the guy that was leaning up against Jesus at the Last Supper and Jesus was talking to him and like having a conversation with Jesus would do these miracles and he'd make these statements and nobody knew what he was talking about. And we see in scripture, he pulls John aside to be like, hey, this is what it means. Like he had that type of relationship with John. And you know what history says about John? It says he lived a perfect life and experienced no hardships. Actually, after Jesus died and rose again, John was equipped and empowered with the Holy Spirit to go share the gospel. And history tells us that there was a moment 
where they tried to boil him alive in oil. I was a fry cook at McDonald's for when I was 15 and 16. You ever get splash oil on your skin? It hurts. Like imagine being put in the fry basket and lowered in. But you know what happened? He was preaching while in the oil and he didn't stop and he didn't die. And so later on, they try to poison him. That didn't work. And so they exile him to the island of Patmos. And now for me, I'm like excited because I'm like, oh, man versus wild, like live off the land. Um, But that wasn't an exciting thing for him to be exiled. But you know what he did? The Spirit inspired him to write the book of Revelation. He was not exempt from hardship. The other 11 disciples, they weren't exempt from hardship either. Each one of them giving their lives to spread the gospel. King David, let's go Old Testament. I mean, he has his younger, youngest son, one of his sons, chasing after him to kill him so he can take the throne. I mean, over and over again in this book, we have so many stories of hardships and people who place their faith in Jesus alone for their salvation. Hardship happens. Sickness, broken relationships, people hurt us, neglect, abuse. You know what's not promised in this book? Contrary to popular belief, is that nobody in this room is promised an easy life. No one. This isn't a book about health, wealth, and happiness, where if you just believe in God, all your problems are going to go away. It's in the midst of the problems that we have a Savior that we can run to and that is faithful even when we are faithless. So what does Paul say? Even though you were suffering, even though you were hurting and in pain, your faith in God overflowed and the church grew. Now that's not only in breath, but it's also in depth. Their faith was becoming more and more solid by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. The church is not a building. The church is not a denomination. The church is the people of God. The church is a people. And I think often we believe that we can be in love with God, but not the church. See, we can't love God and hate the church. That's not possible. God loves his church so much so that he sent Jesus to die for us. So we can't exist in it and think, oh, we, 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 can't, we don't want to do that. We want to distance ourselves from the church because X, Y, Z. I think often we distance ourselves or we stop going to church or things like that because of personal preference, often. right? We, we, it's too loud. It's too, the music's not loud enough. It's too cold. Oh, no, the church is too hot. It's too big. Oh, it's too small. Oh, I like my kids in the service. Oh, I like my kids somewhere else so I could pay attention. Like, we, we, then we, we just stop going because, oh, it, it's not meeting every criteria that we have placed on it. But it doesn't exist to meet every one of your criteria. It exists to glorify God. The church exists for God, not your preference. And now I know that there are times within churches that people mess up and do bad things. And I want you to know that we are all broken sinners. I will let you down at some point because I am a broken sinner. Don't put your faith and trust in me. Put it in God. 
but I think often we've been hurt by people in the church, so we isolate from the church. But, but we have to come here with a little bit of an expectation to understand that everybody here is broken. Like, let's stop wearing the mask of we got it all together, put on the pretty clothes, and let's walk into church like we didn't just fight in the car the whole way here. <laughs> We're broken people that need a savior. The church is for the sick. And you're one of them. In case you thought you were exempt. So we are called to build the church. I love what author and pastor Mark Howell says. He says, a genuine love for Jesus produces a profound love for the church. People recognize they are on a journey together. They see greater purpose in their suffering and they pray for one another's spiritual growth. That's what it means to be the church. I mean, he's just recapping what Paul's been writing in the book of 1 Thessalonians. I mean, look at what Paul's written, right? What is the church? A people who walk together, sacrifice together, suffer together, pray together. When someone's down, you pick them up. When someone's hurting, you hold them up. We gather and we sing and we celebrate who Jesus is. Isn't that the type of church you want to be a part of? Okay, so, so you guys are sleeping. Maybe I'll go back and say that again because, because that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Like, when I'm hurting, I want people around me to help pick me up. When I'm broken, when I'm down, when I'm sick, the church is meant to gather around one another and pursue Jesus together. Isn't that the type of church you want to be a part of? Yes. And it starts with you. It starts with you. We can't think that it's everybody else's job to be that type of person. Each and every one of us play a part in that type of church. When Timothy was coming back to Paul, talking about this praise report, about what God has been doing in the life of the Thessalonians, he wasn't talking about a leader. He wasn't talking about a leadership team. He wasn't talking about those on the board. He was talking about the people all of them whose faith were growing in such a way that they were enamored by God and by what Jesus has done for them in such a way that it was impacting the world around them, overflowing in love. Contagious faith that leads to overflowing love builds his church, God's family. And the next thing it does is it encourages the hurting. Let's look at verse 7. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress, distress and affliction. So Paul and whoever he's with at this point is experiencing some kind of distress and affliction. So for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about through your faith. Timothy brought good news of faith and love and hardship, and it encouraged Paul and his friends in their hardship and affliction. So just some real talk real quick. Have you ever been afraid, anxious, to share the gospel with somebody? I know I have. And as I thought about the answer to that question, I also thought about the opportunities I've had to share with people the hurts and the pains and the struggles that I've experienced in my own life and then how God has met me in those circumstances. 
And I want to tell you something. When I'm sharing the testimony of God's faithfulness in my life, it has always been received, no matter who the person is. I've shared stories of my own hurt and pain and how God has come to help me in those afflictions with atheists, with people who would say that they don't believe in God or thinks he exists. Like I've shared my story with them and they've actually sat there and they've nodded and they've said thank you even at the end of it. They may have dismissed it in their minds. They may not believe it, but, but they didn't like be like, how dare you tell me this? Why? Because it's our story. It's our experience. And I think often we're so quick to share information versus sharing experience. We need to share how God has transformed our own hearts and our minds and our lives with the world around us. That's our grace story. That's our testimony. And we share the gospel through the story that God has given us. I mean, that's what Paul is doing. That's what the Thessalonians are doing. That's what the disciples were doing and the apostles were doing. I mean, that's what they were doing. They've, they've shared their good news. I remember about a little over 10 years ago, Lauren and I experiencing miscarriages. So we struggled getting pregnant in, early on in our marriage. And then we had Selah, and, and that was awesome. And that was a huge answer to prayer. And then we had one miscarriage after another. And as we began to pray through that with our friends and our family, and as we began to share that story with people and how God had walked with us, it wasn't easy. Can I tell you that? It was very painful. In fact, there were moments where like we were walking around wearing it on our face. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you see somebody that's just, they're heavy and you can tell that they're carrying a burden. People are like, hey, you, you doing okay? But actually, you know what? We just experienced this miscarriage. We just lost a baby. And being able to share in those moments God's faithfulness, share that, that he was present in the midst of our hurt and pain and suffering. The gospel is real and it covers all and God is faithful even when we're faithless. And so in this moment, the Thessalonians are allowing their suffering and their hurt and their pain just to overflow out of their lives, but in gospel presentation, because that's where God meets us. We're not sharing information about God. We must share experience with God. I mean, there's this movie, it's a silly example, but there's this movie, Elf, we watch around the holidays. Um, and this is a story of a boy who ended up growing up in the North Pole with Santa, and, and then he ended up trying to go back to find his biological dad in New York City. And so he's at a store, and a guy comes, and he starts announcing that Santa's coming tomorrow. And his response was so excited. He's like, Santa! And then he's like screaming and yelling, and everybody's like looking at him, and he's like, I know him. I know him. And I remember how impactful that was because I was thinking about it. And often we're talking about something, right? We're talking about God in a way it's like, yeah, we know about him. Like he did all these things, year, you know, generations ago with the Israelites. We know about him with Daniel and the lion's den. We know about him with David and Goliath. We know about him. So we share those stories, but we don't actually know him because we haven't experienced him. We haven't spent time with him. That's why God invites us to open up. I mean, do you know how fortunate we are to have and hold this book? There are people all over the world that don't have this. And when they hear that this is somewhere near them, they will travel far and wide, even under the idea that they may die 
just to catch a glimpse of this, and it collects dust on our shelf. God wants us to know him and spend time with him and pray and experience him. And when we experience him, it overflows out of our hearts and minds and lives to his glory. So that's the last thing. Our faith story encourages the hurting and it also impacts the world around us. Look at verses eight through 10. For now we live. This is a statement of confidence. He's like, now I can stand firm. If you are standing fast in the Lord, I can now stand fast in the Lord. Verse nine. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Their faith was overflowing in such a way that it was impacting the world. It wasn't just impacting Timothy and impacting Paul. I mean, that story was spreading like wildfire through their community of how they are standing firm on the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Our world is broken. It's unstable. I don't have to convince you of that. Our, our, the politics are all over the map. Like we don't know what tomorrow may bring. There are wars happening. Like we're, we, we don't live in a little bubble. Like we see it. We know, I mean, turn on the news for a minute. Our world is a mess. And the world needs a beacon of hope. And that beacon of hope is called the church. And you, if you stand firm on Jesus as your Lord and Savior, are a part of that beacon of hope to a lost and dying world around you. The world that the Thessalonians lived in wasn't much different than the world that we're experiencing today. And their faith grew. And Paul encourages them. You experience God in such a way that it brought stability and joy and hope to everyone around you. This word steadfast means to stand firm, to persevere. But it wasn't standing firm and persevering in a religion or morality. It was standing firm and persevering in the Lord, it says. They were standing firm in Jesus. And this is what impacted others. You know, each one of us have a circle of accountability. I want to show you this slide. Because often I think that we don't see our lives in this way but each one of us have a circle of accountability that surrounds our lives. You do. God has placed you where you are, specifically surrounded with the people that are in your life. The people in your life are different than the people in my life. And so you have a different circle of accountability than I have in my life. But there are the people in our lives that are very close to us. Those are families, friends. Those are the people that we surround ourselves with really close. We spend a lot of time with those people. And then there's this next layer, right? The people that maybe this is extended family. Maybe these are friends that we see once in a while. Maybe neighbors that we get to talk to when they're putting out the garbage pails, right, once a week. Um, right? we're, we're engaging with people on a regular basis. But then there's everyone else that comes across your path. People that you may not even remember their name. And they're the ones that are everywhere you live, work, and play. Maybe when you head over to Walmart to get some supplies, they're the people that say hello to you every time you walk in, or Costco. They're the people that always check your receipt on the way out and act like they're counting, but they're really not counting, right? They're just putting a little highlighter on your paper. 
Right? It's the people at your, your local coffee shop or wherever you may frequent. I don't know, your seamstress, wherever you people go. And you get to know them. And you know what starts with remembering their name? And don't use the excuse, I'm not good at it. Like put it in your phone. God has given us different technologies that we can write it down on a piece of paper, carry a pen with you. But be intentional with remembering their name. Why? Because just greeting them with James. Hey, what's up, buddy? How are you doing? Like, that's a big deal to remember somebody's name. And then you start asking them, hey, is there anything I can be praying for you right now? I mean, I would love for any of you to come join me at Starbucks. I have a great relationship with most of the baristas there. And, and I go in, and when I'm there, I'm asking them how they're doing, how their family is. We're, uh, one of them is graduating soon, and I was like, hey, your, your classes are almost over. What are you going to do? And she was like, oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of scared of what that looks like. I was like, hey, can I be praying for that for you? Oh, I would love that. That'd be great. Thanks. Why? Because we are beacons of hope in a lost and dying world. People are putting all of their hope in the things of this world, and that will always let them down. We know that. As believers, we know that. Stuff will let us down. But Jesus will never let us down. So we get to be the conduit that invite people to know who he is and what he has done. Our faith overflows and impacts the world. Our love overflows and impacts the world. In our going, we are to disciple one another. So here's our response. To fall in love with Jesus and overflow his love to the world. Recently, I had the absolute blessing of checking off one of the items on my bucket list. My wife and I were in Canada and we got to go to the Canada side of Niagara Falls. Um, and this video is gonna play. And the whole time I was there and I was watching this, the whole time, I must have asked this question 10 or 15 times, and you can ask my wife because it was starting to annoy her. But I'm like, where is all this water coming from? Like, when you're there, it is so surreal. The power and the magnitude of that water flowing over the edge, second after second after second. I mean, it's splashing you in the face. It's spraying up everywhere. I mean, it is intense to be standing there. I kept saying, where is this coming from? It's got to end. At some point, the water's got to run out. But it doesn't. God, so much more, is an overflowing river of love, mercy, and grace into our lives, into the lives of his children. And he overflows it in such a way where it never ends, it never stops. It just goes and goes and goes. And he is pouring that into each and every one of his sons and daughters continuously through the power of the Holy Spirit, time after time after time, day after day, minute by minute, second by second. There's not a moment in your life that is void of God's overflowing power in your life through his love, mercy, and grace. And what he calls you to is to go share this with the world. He calls you to go overflow that faith and love to the world around you. This is the beauty of the gospel. God invites us to live life as a child of God with contagious faith and overflowing love. This morning, we get to partake in the sacrament of communion. 
This is a beautiful thing that we get to do. When Jesus was with his disciples, he took bread and he broke it. And this was a symbol. He said, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. He said, this is my body broken for you. And then he takes the cup and he says, drink of this. This is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so in this time, I have a couple things I want to ask you to do. The first thing is I want you to, as you're getting prepared, uh, in this moment, one of the things I would encourage you to do is to confess. The Bible gives us a beautiful um, opportunity to repent of the things that we've done wrong. We all have them. You shouldn't be sitting there wondering. Like, they're, they're there. They're in your mind. God invites us to bring those things to him so we confess and give them to him. But I also want you to know, if you're really struggling with something right now, that thing is not void of God's power. Don't let the enemy convince you that you're struggling with something that God can't handle. So you bring that to him in confession. You say, God, I am sorry for these things. I'm sorry for my lack of faith in these things. I'm sorry for the sin, this addiction, whatever it may be. And then, as you're coming, I want you to remember God's love for you. I want to be very specific with this because I think often we know of God's love, big picture, right? For God so loved the world. And so we have a, this picture of God's love. It's, it's big. It's, it's for everyone. But we fail to remember this, how specific God's love is. It is for you. Every man, every woman, every child in this room, it's for you. God loves you. So when you're coming, yeah, it's, it's good to think, oh, God loves my wife, God loves my kids, God loves my coworkers, but I want you to remember that God loves you and that he left eternity for you. So as you're coming down, remember God's love. And then the second thing I want you to do is remember your story. God has given you a story. I want you to remember where God has brought you from and what God is doing in your life. Even if right now, maybe you don't feel it. God is for you and God has brought you through certain things. So remember your story. And after you take the bread and dip it in the juice and you start walking back to your seat, I want to encourage you to remember the people in your life that need to hear the story that God has given you so that they may know who Jesus is and what he's done for them. So remember God's love, remember your story, and then remember the people that God has called you to in your circle of accountability to share his good news with. I'm gonna invite Christian to come back on up. And I'm actually gonna pray a blessing over you. And this blessing is from the end of chapter three in 1 Thessalonians, it's verses 11 through 13. So if you would do me a favor, if you would just close your eyes and receive this blessing right now over you from the Apostle Paul. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way together. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all people. As we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God our Father and the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. Amen. Whenever you are ready, come and receive the Lord's Supper.